The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some woman of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to him, them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The gospel of the Lord. Please, once you take your seats. And let me pray. Gracious Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Help us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that encouraged and supported by your holy word, we may embrace and always hold fast the joyful hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. Uh, when Paul shared his own conversion story with King Agrippa, he said these words, To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that, by being the first to rise from the dead, 
he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And when Jesus, the first to rise from the death, returns to this world, he will raise his servants to a resurrection life like his own. In fact, we're told that he will raise the whole human race. Uh, those who are not his through faith will also be raised. For it is appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. Uh, Christians who are alive at the coming of Christ, in that instance, we're told, will be glorified. That is, they will undergo a marvelous transformation of their bodies. The dead in Christ will rise first, and they will experience this glorious re-embodiment. Now, apart from whatever was going on in the minds of the Corinthians... Their certainty, their uncertainty, their doubt, it seems that above all there was this problem that they just could not imagine a physical bodily resurrection for themselves. And I imagine that for many of us gathered here today that is probably our problem as well. And so in verse 35 they ask this question in the flow of Paul's teaching on the resurrection, how are the dead raised? Of what kind of body will they come? And what I want you to know this morning is that it is a body to die for. As you think about it, you might think, but how does this happen? You know, what if they were, what if they were cremated? How's that going to work itself out? Uh, what if they were obliterated and, and blown into a million pieces? How's it going to happen? Is God going to sort of get all of the atoms back together and reform them? It's almost inconceivable, and I think that's the sort of problem that we have. We talk about the resurrection of the dead, we say that our body will be raised, and then we get to feel a little bit embarrassed and a little bit uncomfortable to say that because you just can't quite work it out in your mind. And, and so I imagine that for many of us this morning, uh, we're also asking the question, but how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body will they come? Uh, Paul comments on the Corinthians question and on ours uh, in very direct language. The ESV is, um, holds back a little bit, it, you foolish person. It actually is something more like you stupid people. Why would you even bother asking that question? I don't know if you've noticed in the last 10 or 15 years, anytime anybody asks a question, the reply from the person who's being asked the question is, that's a very good question. <laughs> every time. Like every question is a good question. Uh, the Bible um, it doesn't hold its punches. Uh, you ask a stupid question and the Bible will generally tell you that it's a stupid question and won't answer it. But why is it a stupid question? I think it's a, it, it's a question that, that we ask and so then it makes us feel quite small. Uh, it, it's not because we just have to put our heads down and simply believe what the Bible has to say. The Bible doesn't work like that. It's a question uh, that does reveal our complete misconception. It reveals our own stupidity in our conceptualization of the resurrection. So Paul starts out by giving an analogy in verse 36. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other kind of grain. So he's using the word body here to refer to a tree or to a plant and to its body. 
And he's trying to tie this analogy together. And so he goes on in verse 38, God gives it a body as he has chosen and each kind of seed has its own body. And now your problem and mine is that we've never seen a dead body raised to life by God. Some people in history have. Some people in history saw Jesus' resurrected body. We haven't. And because we haven't, we just can't get it into our mind's eye. Now, just because you can't imagine it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Paul says, suppose for a moment, and I'm going to need you to just use your imagination for a second. Suppose for a moment that you had never seen a plant. I know you've got to let your imagination run wild here, but just suppose you'd never seen a plant. Uh, suppose that all you had ever seen was a seed being stuck into the ground. Just look out that window for a second and look at that maple tree or that oak tree, whatever's in your field of vision. Imagine if all you'd ever seen was the seed. Could you conceive for a moment that that seed could become that tree? It's inconceivable. And wouldn't you find it hard to imagine how that seed buried into the ground could become that great oak tree or maple tree outside of that window? Uh, wouldn't you have been right to conclude that there's no ways that that could happen? And yet what Paul's saying is that there will be continuity between the mortal and the immortal bodies uh, that exist. The body that we have now and the body that we have in the future. And that continuity, like the seed that becomes the tree, allows for great differences between the starting point of what we have now and what we will become. God, of course, is the one who gives the seed its own body, and the tree or the plant becomes what it is when it is fully grown. And here is the first little analogy to begin to see our foolishness or our stupidity when we can't understand how something could happen and therefore we decide that it cannot happen. Paul moves on to a second analogy in verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans and another kind for animals and another for birds and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. When he talks about heavenly bodies there, he's thinking about the sun and the moon and the stars. Uh, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earth is of another. There's one glory for the sun, another glory for the moon, another glory for the stars. And the stars differ from star to star in their glory. Uh, the world you know of, God's creation, is full of splendor and there are so many different kinds of bodies. Moon, sun, sky, animals, plants, people. Do you think that God is limited to the kinds of bodies that we know about? If God could create the octopus and the armadillo, surely there must be another body that we cannot conceive of because we've never seen it before. Surely God is, it is within his power and his right to have another body. And so, once again, just because we can't understand how it will happen, Paul shows us that it is ridiculous to make a conclusion that it could not happen. And so he applies this to the resurrection of the body in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, like the seed that becomes a tree, like all the different kind of bodies that you know about, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. 
It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You are wrong if you think that what we're talking about here is just people's corpses being reanimated or revivified. Do not think The Walking Dead or World War Z or any of the other zombie apocalypse movies that you love so much. That is not what is taking place here. The body that we are talking about when we speak of the resurrection is the same body, but it's different. Uh, The body that is sown is the one that you're wearing at the moment. Your body, you. That is what he's talking about when he says the perishable. Uh, The average age of uh, this congregation is such uh, that it is demonstrable in many cases, including my own, uh, that recognizes that this body is very much perishable. The hair color is changing. In a number of cases, it's reducing in density, rather dramatically. (laughs) It does not take many years to figure out that this thing that we're walking around in is a perishable body. It gets sick, it aches, it pains. It is a body that will not last. But the body that will be raised will be imperishable. No pain, no sickness, no death. The body that will die is a body that has dishonor about it. And although it's not entirely clear uh, what Paul was referring to when he talks about uh, this dishonor, uh, what we do know is that there are a number of reasons where we might be ashamed of our bodies. Perhaps we think that we're ugly. Perhaps our body is not all that we would like it to be. I don't know that there's anybody that thinks that their body is all that they would like it to be, but perhaps it's not all that you want it to be. Uh, But I can tell you that when God raises your body, it will be glorious. It will be a glorious body and it won't be a body uh, because your thinking will be straightened out by then and you won't have the sort of vanity that we're full of now. Uh, It won't be a body that you will be ashamed of in any sense whatsoever. The body that we have now is weak. Even the most powerful amongst us recognize that we are weak and we can't do all that we like and eventually we get tired, but the body that is raised will be powerful. The body that we have now is natural and it belongs to this order of things. But the body that will be raised, it will be a spiritual body. That is to say that it will belong to the new existence of the new age of the new heavens and earth that are yet to come and it will be a body that is suited to that realm. It is a body that will belong to the eternal, to the imperishable, to the immortal heavenly order of things. And there is the first demonstration that the question is a stupid question. Not that he's wanting to put people down, but he wants us to see that simply because you cannot understand how something could happen, it is stupid to draw the conclusion that it could not happen. And it comes out of a mind that is ignorant of God. He goes on to draw our attention in verses 45 onwards uh, as the Corinthians um, try to uh, still 
let this sink into their minds and let this still sink into their souls. What a spiritual experience and what a spiritual existence might be like. You know, for them, they were like, I want to get rid of this body. I'd be happy with a spiritual experience. I'd be happy with a spiritual existence. Uh, we, we reckon, they say, that uh, we've tasted that heaven is going to just be good enough without having to harp on with this bodily existence. But Paul explains in the second half of verse 44 and everything that comes afterwards that if there is a natural body, there must be a spiritual body. That if there is a natural body for this existence here on earth, then there is a body for the spiritual existence in the age to come. And so it is written, verse 45, the first man, Adam, became a living being. It's a quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The last Adam, that is Jesus, he became a life-giving spirit. The first man, Adam, was made by God, and you and I are like him. And you have a body like he had a body, natural, weak, and perishable. The last Adam is Jesus Christ, and he gives new life. And he gives new life by his resurrection from the dead, so that like him you will have a body that is spiritual and powerful and glorious and imperishable. So that in the same way that our minds are being transformed and renewed in the love and the humility uh, that God calls us to model after Jesus Christ through the regeneration of our inward selves, so the glorified body is the model for the remaking of our bodies. At best, the bodies that we have right now are poor tools in expressing the desires and the purposes of hearts that have been regenerated by the Spirit. But the bodies that we will be given on the last day, the bodies that we will be given on the last day will perfectly match the regenerate characters. They will prove to be perfect tools for the holy self-expression that God is bringing forth within us and that we will exist in for all eternity. And so if you are in on what Jesus Christ is doing, then just like now, you are like Adam, so then you will be like Jesus. Verse 46, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Here's Paul sequencing things again. You must understand that now you're caught up in this existence that is like Adam's. And though you still have a natural body, you can't have a natural body and a spiritual body at the same time. What we are talking about lies in the future. Jesus never had both at the same time. He had his natural body and then he died and then he had his resurrection body. And we need to see our link with Adam and our link with Christ. Look at verse 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so we need to underline again and again that the resurrection of Jesus is not just the miracle that proves that Christianity is true, but much, much more. It is the beginning of God's new creation. If you have difficulty believing in the resurrection of the dead, in the resurrection of your own body, then go back again and have a look at Jesus Christ, the first fruit, 
the first apple on the tree that proves that all the other apples are on their way. Now, of course, after getting to this point, you want to ask the question, how? And Paul answers that question by telling us that it's a mystery. In verses 50 to 58, and you're going to have to come back next week because John's going to preach on that. And he will explain everything in that section. <laughs> but what we need to understand and what we need to see, and I will encroach just a little bit, we must see why it must take place. Why it must take place in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You can't have a perishing body having eternal life. It's contradictory. The new creation is different from the old creation, and our existence then will be different from our existence now. Friends, this is what Christianity is finally about. God has placed eternity in the hearts of men and women. That is what we long for. And so we do look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. This is not in any sense trivial. This is not an epilogue. This is not bonus material. This is what we are talking about when we speak of the work of God dealing with sin. Now, maybe you got into Christianity because you knew that you needed your sin to be dealt with. But you might not have fully understood all the implications of having your sin dealt with would mean for your life. For you see, if sin is dealt with, if the breach between humans and God is dealt with, then it cannot stop there and it will not stop there. It means that death will be dealt with and your death and my death is not going to be the end because the result of the defeat of death must be life. And so the Bible, the theological term is glorification. Glorification is the completion of the work that began at regeneration, whereby through God's transforming power, God finally turns us into sinless creatures with deathless bodies. So, do you believe in the resurrection of the body? Because that's what God is doing. To make it particularly direct, do you believe in the resurrection of your own body? And you might ask yourself, well, why does it matter? Why does any of this matter? Why is this so important? Why can't I just be comfortable with the idea that there is eternal everlasting life and leave it at that? Well, really, I think the controlling verse of this whole chapter is verse 58, where Paul calls us to stand firm to always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because the work of the Lord is never in vain. You see, friends, the resurrection of the body and understanding that it will happen is important because it is what helps us to remain steadfast. It is what keeps us from being prone to wander because we are involved in eternity. We are involved in what God is doing and it will not end. Not even death is going to be the end. And if you understand that, you are in on that then can't you stand firm and allow nothing to move you and always give your life towards what the Lord is doing? What the Lord is doing is calling people into his wonder. What the Lord is doing is calling people to understand how Jesus dealt with our sin and by dealing with our sin and by dying and rising from the dead, he is the one who is giving life to people this life that will go on forever and ever. This life that will result from you being raised 
from the dead. Now, I do want to comfort you this morning. It would be very strange if our minds were not full of all sorts of questions. They ought to be. Some of them might be answered, others of them not. But at least we know that they will be answered on that day. On that day, everything will be made clear. On that day, we will understand all of this and how it takes place. But just because you can't picture it in your mind, you need to know that that doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Now, I just want to say one last thing in closing. There may be those among us who, listening to this, uh, realize that this is not something that they hold to, not something that they believe in, not something that they are a part of. Uh, that there are people amongst us who might think, well, I've never really thought about being raised from the dead and now I'm sitting in a room of people who do believe in the resurrection from the dead. And what's that all about? Well, if you are a person who has not yet come to know Jesus Christ in this way, to not put your trust in him, to have not accepted him as your savior, I wanna suggest that apart from anything else, you certainly are missing out on a great deal. Because this promise is to those who have Jesus Christ as their own savior and Lord. And if you've not yet come to him and accepted him as your savior and Lord, then perhaps it's something that you ought to give just a little bit more thought to, to meditate on just a little bit deeper, something that you ought to get right in your mind for yourself, something that you ought not to delay over. Because there is life after death. You might live twice, but you only die once. And the Bible tells us that after that comes judgments and that we are in desperate need of a savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us to see the wonder of what you have done in raising Jesus from the dead, the first fruits. We thank you for the certainty that you will raise us who belong to him. And we do pray for any who might not yet belong to him. We pray, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. We pray too, Lord, for any who might have wandered from your way. Bring them back. May this reality of the resurrection of the dead, may it spur us on to love and good deeds. May it help us to remain steadfast and allow nothing to move us and always give ourselves to the work of the Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.